0: You are listening to the Imperfect Leader Podcast with Scott Neal, a podcast to help you lead and grow, even with imperfections and challenges. Now, here's your host, Scott Neal. All right, welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host, and today I've got Danny Glover with us. Danny is a well-known attorney here in our city, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, and really honored to have Danny with us today. We're going to jump right into our interview with Danny, and I want you to get to know him. And excited about a few of the questions I'm going to ask him and where we go on this uh, journey of this podcast today. Hey, Danny, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here. Well, thank you. I was very honored to be asked until just now I heard it was called the imperfect leader. So I'm a
1: little (laughs) conflicted at this point.
0: Sorry. Well, I'm the only imperfect leader here. So uh, it's my show. So I figured I better be honest about it. So, hey, Danny, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I'm sure there are many people listening who have no idea who you are. Um, And they'd like to get to know you, just the personal side. Then we're going to jump into some professional questions as well. So tell us a little bit about your family, maybe how long you've been practicing law, and uh, in what area of law do you specialize? All right. Well, I am the husband of
1: Meredith Glover and the father of three kids, uh, Link, who is at East Carolina now, Mm -hmm. Uh, Rebecca, who is a junior at the School of Science and Math and actually uh, is part of the worship team here, and then Dylan is an eighth grader at Victory, awesome. um, south of town. Right. Um, I have been in Elizabeth City uh, part of 1994 and then full-time since
0: 1995 uh, when Meredith and I got married and moved here. Uh, and we've been here ever since. Yeah, now what kind of law do you specialize in? I know it's a variety of different things, but what's one area especially? I do uh, serious personal injury
1: cases okay, um, where people are – Are hurt badly enough to need surgery, uh, permanent injuries, um, life care plans, uh,
0: future care, Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Now, you you mentioned how long you've been here. How long you may have already answered this, but let me ask again: How long have you been practicing law? I've been practicing law since 1995 when I graduated from the UNC Chapel Hill School of Law. Law. Okay. Now, were you always did you always want to become an attorney? Was that something you had when you were a kid, just this dream to become an attorney or how did that work out? Talk us through a little bit of that.
1: Well, it, it's not really all that inspiring or insightful because I frankly don't remember when when I decided to become an attorney. Uh, I seem to recall having some thoughts in high school of wanting to become an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got into college and started, uh, I was a business major um, and a speech minor and just decided that crunching numbers all day was was not going to fulfill me and uh, um, I consider myself a problem solver uh, and a helper and at some point realized that that law was a good way to to put both
0: of those into practice. Mm -hmm. Well I'm ignorant when it comes to all the different facets of 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 being a lawyer. I assume when you go to school you get A pretty wide spectrum of of law and then you eventually make a decision on kind of the direction you're gonna go and specialize in an area is that how that works
1: well you are you are um, taught for three years in law school in a wide variety uh, mainly using the Socratic method which is uh, where the professor simply asks questions uh, and then critiques your answer criticizes you um, has other students do the same um, But gives you basically a fact pattern, and then you have to figure out how the law would apply uh, to those facts. And so uh, it's not sitting down, reading, memorization, things like that. Um, A lot of my classmates figured out during law school what kind of law they wanted to practice. Uh, But frankly, the majority of us, um, it was controlled by the hiring environment. Mm -hmm. and the economy, and so uh, unless you were uh, an elite student, which I certainly was not, uh, you took what job you could get, basically. Okay. And uh, it just so happened that mine uh, ended up being uh, with a lawyer here in Elizabeth City who practiced primarily criminal defense uh, and personal injury. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've been doing uh, for approaching 23 years now. Right. Uh, is criminal defense, uh, serious personal injury, and in the last few years uh, sort of evolved
0: into a residential construction dispute uh, litigator. Okay. What would you say if um, maybe we had a a few young uh, college kids here and they're considering going into law? And uh, you could look at them you know, kind of like you were when you first started out. What are maybe a few things you would say to them just in wisdom, guidance, direction about hey, here are a few things I want you to know. I wish I knew this when I was in school. What right. would be a couple of those? Things? Well, the first thing I would say is don't
1: do it. Okay. <laughs> the the, well, the job market in, in North Carolina especially um, has become oversaturated mm-hmm. uh, with lawyers. Uh, uh, recently, uh, the Charlotte School of Law was shut down for accrediting and perhaps some uh, tuition fraud issues, hmm. uh, but they were pumping out 700 plus law students a year. Wow. Um, the Elon recently opened a law school a few years ago. They're pumping out lawyers. Then you've got Central in Durham, uh, Duke, Wake, UNC, uh, and so there are just more law
0: graduates coming out than the The job market can possibly handle now is that unique to north carolina or is that our nation pretty much i can't answer that
1: i I, all i know is north carolina but i know that it is a huge problem here where law students are now coming out of um law school state law schools uh, or private law schools here in north carolina with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt Mm -hmm. and they're being forced to take jobs that might pay them twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year and they it's tough for them to cash flow their school debt much less their ordinary living expenses or trying to raise a family or things like that so it is it is reaching a crisis level mm. frankly in North Carolina now when I graduated it wasn't that bad because you know law school might have been five to six thousand dollars a semester and so you could come out if you had to borrow everything you'd come out with less than fifty thousand dollars in debt mm. Um but that's not the case nowadays, even with the state schools. Right.
0: Well, now today you own your own business, and that I'm sure is somewhat exciting and also challenging. Uh, so what, what, um, what would you say to a few, because I, I know there are people listening to this who are thinking about opening up a business. I meet people here in our church. I meet people throughout our city wanting to either start a restaurant or wanting to open up, you know, any private business uh what are a few suggestions you've learned over the last few years about opening up your own practice that you could share with a few young people or older people who are just starting to think about owning their own well i think
1: having a having a a real solid plan uh, a detailed plan is essential uh i was fortunate when i opened my business uh last year that uh i had been here for 22 years mm-hmm. um had a lot of contacts, uh, had a lot of existing clients that transitioned with me to my new firm. Uh, so my supply side, or my demand side rather, uh, was, was already in place basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see a lot of business owners get into trouble when they have a good idea, they may be very good at executing it, but they've not thought through all of the expenses, all the cash flow issues, uh, all of the contingencies that are, you know, gonna happen, mm-hmm. even with the best planning. They, you know, and so they don't have a plan to account for those kind of things. And so uh, they start up and and they're doing what they always wanted to do. And three or four months later, they realize they don't have the money to continue. Right. So that's. That's the biggest thing I would say is, is you've got to sit down and if, you, if you've if you not been in the business before, um, in my old firm, I did most of the administrative stuff, so I knew what all of the, the different aspects of a law firm cost, uh, from online re- legal research, to the insurance, to payroll, to health insurance. I already knew all of that, so it was easy for me to sit down and budget um, for those things yeah, you were walking with your eyes open. You knew what yes, was happening. Yeah, I did. Didn't expect. I did. Still scary. Sure. Uh, still, still very, very different. Uh, I came and joined, a uh, my former partner had already been in Elizabeth city for 20 something years before I, I was here. He okay. already had a very successful practice. So uh, I was fortunate that I was able to step into a successful practice and sort of grow up in that, yep. um, but if you're if you're starting in a brand new business that you've never done before, mm-hmm. I think it's essential that you that you talk to others who have um, and and plan out
0: everything yeah. you can think of and worst case scenarios. If you're not financially or business minded, find someone who is.
1: You have to because yeah. when you go into business, right. it's the business That's that right. matters, and yeah. it's
0: the business that will that will put you out. Right? If if I you, think a lot of people walk in thinking, well, I've got a great product. And I'm a hard worker, so all i got to do is put a for sale sign on whatever it is I'm selling, and everybody will just come to me and and it'll be successful. But that's not true. You've okay. got to find some people who are got a good business sense who can help you put a plan together because often people spend all their profits, and they don't have anything to take them to the next month or on to the rest of the year. So that's Especially good.
1: Especially self-starters who have some cash and don't need the bank's involvement. Mm-hmm. I've seen over the years that, that even though borrowing uh, – I'm totally against borrowing, but when you deal with the bank, they will require that kind of planning and mm-hmm. and the business plan, the business model, the budgeting. Uh, but a lot of a lot of the failures that I see are people who didn't have to deal with the bank and they didn't have that guidance and that structure in place, like a
0: like a business loan would have done. Right. Well, Danny, a lot of people, no doubt, see attorneys on TV, they watch attorneys in movies, they have a perception of what it means to be an attorney, to, you know, out there battling uh, the bad guys or winning it for the, you know, for the good guys or whatever. What are, what are a few, maybe, common myths about being an attorney that the average person may not know. I'm sure your day is not filled with excitement all the time. Uh, so tell us a little bit about kind of the reality, what's behind the scenes there of being an attorney each day. Sure. I
1: hear young people come to me and say, you know, I think I want to be a lawyer because I'm, I'm really good at arguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really good at arguing. And, and frankly, doing the kind of law that I do, it, it's agreement making and it's consensus building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to reach uh, reasonable, fair settlements with insurance companies. Now, sometimes we have to fight to get to that point of agreement, uh, but, but that's my goal is to reach an agreement. Uh, and if they won't agree, then to take it to a jury and allow the jury to agree with my client. Mm -hmm. Um, same in criminal defense Uh, you know when 95% of all cases settle Hmm. and only 5% actually go to trial uh, and I think that's a pretty fair estimate um, that's a lot of agreements and and you have to have the the relationships with the prosecutors with the law enforcement officers with the judges so that there's trust uh, so that there's respect Um, it's you know Oftentimes, criminal defense attorneys um, have to point out to an officer or to a prosecutor the mistakes the officer made during the process because it's those mistakes that are the loopholes or the technicalities that people talk about all the time. Uh, And so you have to be able to do that in such a way that the officer's not gonna get mad, hold it against you later, hold it against your client now Uh, So it it really is, um, there really is a skill to uh, getting people to agree um, when the agreement is based upon someone's failure. Hmm. Either my client's failure for getting, you know, Hmm. that led him him or her to get into trouble. The officer's failure in, in doing exactly what he or she was trained to do during the arrest process. Uh, the prosecutor's failure in not securing a witness or some evidence that they should have, um, any number of things. Yep. But, but that's the basis of these agreements, and and it takes uh, some – there's some
0: delicacy involved mm-hmm. in, in doing that without bruising egos right. and, and blowing the deal up. So a lot of negotiating, a lot of relationship building. I think that is definitely a surprise that a lot of people – may not know about being an attorney. It's, it's building relationships with the people in the city, the, uh, everybody involved and just like you said at the beginning, trust, building this trust level of trust with people.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and I'm fortunate, um, on the, on the criminal side of my practice, uh, our elected district attorney, Andy Womble, uh, Andy and I went to law school together okay. and played intramurals against mm-hmm. each other in law school back when we were babies. And so, um, just through sheer luck, I, I happen to be a law school classmate with our elected district attorney, which is uh,
0: uh, which is nice. Sure. It's nice. That's great. What What do you love most about what you do? What is it kind of gets you up and keeps you going and you just – this would be an, an awesome day if this occurs, when this occurs, just some of the things you love most? Uh, I am a competitor Okay, to – the worst possible degree. Yeah. It's
1: actually, it's actually a problem. Yeah. Uh, and every case I have is a competition with somebody, uh, either the other attorney or the insurance company or uh, the, the government and the criminal prosecutions. And so even when we have to settle, even when we have to reach a plea bargain, uh, the whole buildup to that is a competition. Can I outwork them? Can I outthink them? Can I outmaneuver them? You know, any number of things that I'm trying to do, all of which benefit my client.
0: Sure. So that would be true of any attorney, really. I mean, if you're going to, if again, if someone's out there thinking about going into to law, you've got to have this competitive edge to yourself. Wouldn't you agree? Well,
1: you, you got to love that. You do, because getting into law school itself is highly competitive. Uh, and then uh, surviving in law school especially the first year is highly competitive once you graduate there there are some some areas of the law where you don't have to be hyper competitive um, there are transactional lawyers who simply draft deeds or wills all day uh, and they're not trying to beat any other side they're not trying to win they're just trying to get down on paper what their client wants and what's best for their client. Uh, judges Mm-hmm. You know, or another, they're not competing with, with anyone. I mean, they're, they're the master. And so right. what they say goes, uh, and it's a difficult job, no doubt, but it, it, it's not the competitive job that being on one side of the litigation is.
0: So if you do not enjoy competition and getting in there and fighting, that is not the area you want to go into in your career. It's
1: very yeah. tough to be a, a successful attorney and to be a passive, un. Non-competitive
0: right. sure. person. Well, the flip side of that question: What are a few of the things you find most challenging about what you do? Some of the things you just don't really enjoy. You got to do it, but it's just not something that gives you a lot of energy.
1: Well, we don't we don't win every case, right. so losing sure losing is not high up on the uh, enjoyment factor. Uh, I think dealing with uh, with egos hmm. is is one of the more uh, challenging part and i'll put my ego right up there at the top of the list you know i i take every case thinking i'm going to win it and at some point there's a realization that i'm not going to win this case or i'm not going to get my client exactly what they want Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you have to you have to put that aside uh, to continue to do what's best for your client Uh, managing your client's expectations is very very difficult uh, especially when um, the more successful attorneys charge more. And mm-hmm. when, the, when you charge more and the client's paying more, the client expects more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that becomes difficult. Uh, why did I hire you? I could have achieved that myself, mm-hmm. you know? And so you know, that's a challenge. Um, dealing with different judges' rules and, and quirks um, is a challenge. Um, the, the personality of the judge, the belief system of the judge, the rules of of the judge may vary from day to day, from judge to judge. Hmm. And so one client with a case and another client with an identical case, but a different judge, may see two entirely different processes, two entirely different outcomes.
0: Uh, And so that becomes difficult. So this may go, you know, not need to be said, but I'm curious, I assume, based on what you just said, that depending on the judge you prepare differently absolutely okay because you know going into this case with this particular judge these are certain things important to him or her these are certain things he or she will maybe you know lean one way or the other is that is that accurate absolutely and that's that's one of the things that uh a lot of
1: clients don't understand and with the economy the way it's been lately and the the competitive environment in the legal field uh, attorneys are doing more than they used to. They're traveling further than they used to. And so I have attorneys from Charlotte and Richmond advertising as Elizabeth city, personal injury lawyers. Hmm. Uh, I have attorneys from Raleigh trying to get Elizabeth city DWIs. Well, those out of town attorneys don't know the first thing about our judges. Right. They don't know our prosecutors. They don't know our law enforcement officers. And I don't think the clients understand exactly how important it is that you know. Well, I had no idea.
0: I mean, that's new to me. Yeah. I would n- have no clue about that.
1: So that's good to know. So the biggest advice I would give is is find a competent, well-respected local lawyer. Right. Where, you know, boots so on a, the ground. If
0: a person's listening to this and they, you know, obviously live in a different city and that, or they're going, through, maybe traveling through that particular county or whatever, get pulled over for speeding ticket, going to have to appear in court in that particular county, you would recommend they find someone there to represent them if they need to do that. Absolutely, and yeah.
1: I, or they call me and I'll find them. Uh, okay. I'm huge into networking across the state. I have spent uh, my entire legal career uh, working in an organization called the North Carolina uh, Advocates for Justice, which is basically the statewide trial lawyers organization of about 3,000 members statewide doing all sorts of legal work, uh, litigation on the litigation side um representing injured people representing the accused workers comp things like that um went up through the ranks and was president of that organization in 2014. Uh, so I, i i know how important it is to to know attorneys all across the state because i you don't want me representing you in rocky mount sure i don't know the first thing about
0: rocky mount um that's little, very interesting, as yeah. I know. Anytime we've got a, you know, unfortunately, we would get pulled over or get a speeding ticket, we get a flood of attorney letters at our house. I hate it. I them. have three kids, and we got all these cars everywhere. My kids live in different places, so if they get a ticket, you know, wow, we get fifteen different letters probably at our house. And I had, had no idea. I figured, well, just pick one of them, and if you need an attorney, they're all the same. But that's not true.
1: Well, it's not, and 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 I, I hate those letters. I, I don't send them, and and. If I have anything to do with it, I'll never will. Um, but that, you know, that's part of our the economics of sure. our profession is people feel the need to do that. Um, I'll tell on her. Uh, my wife was one of my first clients at my oh, new yeah. law firm when she was late to work one day, uh-huh. and and we got a, a, a flood of those letters yeah. from from my friends and colleagues. The, the, the tickets and the charges are public record, mm-hmm. and you can actually subscribe to services that every morning they will send you a, a mail-ready list uh, of the people who got mm-hmm. recent charges. And you just put a stamp on an envelope and send it out, and you don't even look at it or look at what it ha- what it's about. You yeah. just send them.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, it happened to us a little while back, and I got a bunch of them. So I was curious how all that worked. Well, here we are in Elizabeth City, which is a relatively small town. And how do you stay, you know, current in, in a town like Elizabeth City? I've noticed recently you have, now this may only be because I'm more aware of it, but it seems like you have more blogs, you have some more things you're writing, posting in social media, I've seen some things in Facebook and different places. I assume that's intentional in order to kind of keep your face in front of the people here in our town, and because of all those competition just kind of give us a little rundown on that. Well, that's that's obviously marketing.
1: Right. Uh, it's also very informative. It um, is. My, yeah, I've
0: read several of the blogs. Very helpful, actually.
1: Yeah, and so uh, over the years, uh, advertising in the legal profession has has been problematic within the legal profession. The, the state bar has a ton of ethics rules about how you can and cannot advertise and the kind of superlatives that you can use when describing yourself or your hmm. practice. Uh, But TV advertising used to be the thing for the attorneys who were going to advertise. It was going to be billboards or TV. Well, TV is really expensive and TV is limited to this local area. And so when we're in a tourist area Mm -hmm. and so we have people from Canada come to the Outer Banks, we have people from Nebraska come to the Outer Banks. Uh, If I advertise on TV, they're not going to see that. Mm. Uh, The Internet is worldwide. Yep. And so, uh, I get a lot of business off of the internet, um, and Facebook, um, and, and other social media where those blogs are also syndicated and posted. Uh, but instead of just throwing my name out there, throwing my face out there, um, I, I think, I think people are interested in reading short little, you know, legal tidbits, mm-hmm. uh, I get asked more about those than anything else that I've ever done in terms of marketing uh, or advertising. Um, and it's fun. You yeah. know, I've got a buddy in Charlotte who does all my video work, and so we go to his studio, and, and uh, he interviews me for hours and hours and hours, and then he chops those up into yeah. little bitty 20-, 30-second interviews, uh, and then he does the animated uh, stuff as well.
0: Yeah. Well, they're helpful. And I I find it interesting because obviously, you know, you live in that world. So, you know, the lingo, you know, the the, obviously the, the laws and what the rights of the person. But the average guy like myself, I don't know what I can do, can't do what's right. If a police officer pulls me over, what I can expect, what maybe is requested of me that I don't necessarily have to do. So I find those little tidbits of. Of information very helpful in fact I'd like to for you to kind of give us maybe a little taste of that you know sure. if the average person's pulled over whether it's a maybe it's a check I don't know what that's they call when they just are doing a random check just to see I guess if they're trying to find someone who may be drinking and driving or DUI testing and things what are, what are some of the rights that a person has that that they may not know they have because I think it's very intimidating you know if, if you're not in the in the legal field you see the lights behind you. You get pulled over. Whatever the officer asks you to do, you know you do it because you don't want to make it worse. And the average person just doesn't know his or her rights. Right. So give us a little rundown, just a few of those things that might be helpful. Sure,
1: sure. And and uh, the the before I start, the, you know, the preface to all of this is this is not about being dishonest or trying to trick the system or trick the law enforcement sure. officers. I have some very very good friends. Uh, who are law enforcement officers, and across the board, our our law enforcement officers here do a great job. Um, For years, I was the local fraternal order of police uh, attorney and the highway patrol uh, attorney here, and so uh, that does not eliminate the fact, though, that we have very important individual rights Mm -hmm. in America, and we should not be afraid uh, of, of exercising them and certainly shouldn't be ignorant of them. But I, I think the, the most important right on the criminal side is the right to remain silent and the right to say no. Hmm. Uh, if officer asks, can I search your car? Can I pat you down? Can I search your house? You have every right to say no. That doesn't mean you're going to stop the officer from doing it if that's what he or she wants to do. But when you say no and they do it anyway, and then you end up getting charged and you go to court, then the burden's on the officer to prove that they had probable cause to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas if you say, okay, sure, I just wanna cooperate, they don't need probable cause. Your Mm -hmm. consent eliminates a lot of the defenses that you or your lawyer might have uh, to, to help in your case. Uh, You don't ever have to answer questions under any circumstances. Hmm. Um, And what a lot of people don't realize is law enforcement officers um, have uh, the ability and oftentimes the right to misstate what's going on to you or to lead you to believe uh, one thing um, when that may or may not be true. And, to put pressure on you to uh, incriminate yourself, to confess, to tell on someone else perhaps, to uh, identify the location perhaps of something you shouldn't have. Um, and so that's why it's important that a, a person understand they don't ever have to answer those questions. Hmm. And it's it's completely legal uh, and it is completely permissible and it will not make the situation worse if you simply say, Thank you, officer, but I'd rather not answer your questions.
0: That's very interesting. So is that one of the reasons uh, a police officer will ask when you're pulled over, do you have any idea why I pulled you over? The reason I ask that is because I've talked with some people who, you know, they had a registration that was expired or they had, you know, something else with their car and they just kind of admitted that. And do you have any idea why I pulled you over? Well, because my registration's out, which, clue the officer into, I'd better check their, their tag when it was really, they didn't give a turn signal or they were speeding. You know, I'm just wondering if that's not a kind of a baiting to get you to tell them more than what even they may know. Well, it's, it's that. And it's to get you to confess to what they do know so that they don't have
1: to prove it, it. You know, certain Certain things you are required to have been notified about, such as um, the revocation of a driver's license. Mm-hmm. You know now uh, a common law enforcement technique is to follow you down the road with their laptop open and they're keying in your license plate and they're seeing the status of your insurance, the status of your tags, who the license or who the owner is, whether that person has a valid license. Uh, and using any of that information to pull you over, um, maybe for those reasons, maybe to go on a fishing expedition mm-hmm. for, for something else, uh, especially in certain parts of the state if you meet certain racial profiles or other stereotypes. Um, and so when you, when you admit to, the, to knowing that your license was revoked, well, now in court it's real easy for them to prove that Instead of having to contact DMV, get a copy of the certified letter, you know, whatever it is they got to do. Um, so I think it's twofold the reason they asked that specific question.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. I don't, I know I don't, you know, know the, the what I can do and can't do. I think most of the time you're just trying to comply and not make the situation worse. And you know, there's a level of nervousness there when someone obviously pulls you over and they're the one in, in authority. I think that's good. That's why I enjoy those those little tidbits of truth you put on Facebook and.
1: Well, and, and and on the injury side, I think there's even more abuse of, of people and their, not necessarily their rights, because, you know, your constitutional rights and protections typically um, help you avoid prosecution. But insurance companies um, are in it to make a profit. And every dollar they can save on your claim is a dollar extra profit to them. And so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have highly specialized, highly trained adjusters um, to get you on the phone immediately after you've been hurt to try to use against you later to save a dollar. Uh, And a lot of injuries don't appear within a day of the wreck or Mm -hmm. at the scene of the wreck. Um, And so uh, you might say, well, I only, they may say, tell me everything that you hurt. And you say, well, I only hurt my knee. Well, lo and behold, you got a blown disc in your back that you didn't realize is from this wreck, and you end up with two surgeries later, and then you try to make a claim for the, the back. Yep. And they play this recorded statement that, well, you told us you only hurt your knee. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I think it's important that people understand that, that they should not be talking to an insurance company before or without a lawyer uh, because uh, people who don't work in that field day in and day out don't see the big picture uh, of where this thing is headed.
0: Uh, and, and so they, they oftentimes shortchange themselves. Yeah. So someone falls at work, they get an injury. Uh, I would assume if it's filed a certain way, they're going to kind of get some of the letters sent like you do. If you get a speeding ticket, people are, hey, let me help you, let me help you. And the insurance company is going to want to, you said, highly trained people are going to call this person. The average person has no idea what's going on. They're just trying to be honest and answer questions. So your suggestion, immediately get an attorney. Secure an attorney Absolutely. to protect you. Absolutely. And can do what he or she tells you to do.
1: Because, you know, your ordinary Joe Blow, who's, who's hurt, has some immediate fears. You know, right. how am I going to provide for myself and my family? Am I going to lose my job? You know, is my arm ever going to get better? And so when the insurance company is saying, you know, hey, we're going to take care of all your bills and, and we're going to pay for your time out of work, that that soothes those immediate fears. Uh, but what people don't know is, uh, unless you're in the workers' comp scenario, but in a car wreck, in an in a industrial accident, you're entitled, the law says you're entitled to a lot more than just your medical bills paid and your lost wages. Hmm. And so the insurance company preys on those fears uh that that people have uh and then they get you to sign things they get you to give away rights that you may not even have known about um and in the end they keep that money and it goes into the profit margin. well
0: danny just in you know working obviously here at, at forest park with a lot of you know just common everyday people who are working who do not have an awareness of the law and their rights what I find is there's a uh, there's a sense of, you know, obviously an attorney's expensive. You know, if I get an attorney involved, I'm not going to have the money. But I assume they can do some, some level of just asking you some questions or someone who might tell them, yeah, you need to go further. And, you know, there's some kind of consultation there to let the average person know if this is something they need an attorney to help them with. Or I, is that correct? It, assume that? it is. Okay. It is. And. Uh,
1: most most consultations on the criminal side or the personal injury side uh, are free. Okay. And on the injury side, uh, the lawyer uh, typically only gets paid out of whatever recovery okay. they get for you. So you're not having to fund um, the attorney's fees as you go through the case. The attorney works two or three years and then takes right. his fee on the back end. And, you know, at least... In my firm, I fund all of the litigation expenses as well. Um, I just had a, a settlement a few weeks ago, and I've got $20,000 of my own money in expenses. Hmm. Now, I'll get that back out of the settlement. Sure. But if if I put that burden on my client like some attorneys will, m- most clients can't afford to pay that. No way. And, and so uh, you have to make sure that, um, that you can afford to pursue to proceed and, or that your attorney can afford to proceed. Right. Uh, you mentioned these mailers, you know, now it's gotten so high tech that a lot of your huge advertising firms in Charlotte, Raleigh, Richmond, uh, they will send really high class looking DVDs and all sorts of stuff, bells and whistles and super. I'm, they impress me. I'm super impressed by them, but they're not from here. And they don't—they don't know what a jury is likely to do with a case here, right. and uh,
0: you know. So that so the, the the consultation as well is not only helping the potential client to know whether or not they need to secure you, but it's also you assessing whether or not you that this is a case that you will take. In other words, there's some, probably some compensation at the end. So if if you if someone calls your office and gets a free consultation with you, and you're pretty confident that they need to secure you. That's because with your experience and your years of working with hundreds of people, you know that they need help and there's probably gonna be some compensation at the end of this or you wouldn't take it. Is that correct? That That's correct. I, I'm pretty selective about the cases that I take and that's why in the
1: very beginning when I described my practice I said serious injuries okay. because quite frankly, you know, the the four and $5,000 injury claims are just as much work as the four hundred thousand right. dollar entry claim, and and I can't, I can't keep my doors open spending all my time for that little return. And frankly, you know, when you're talking about those really small cases, I can't add much value to what my client can get for themselves. And so, right. in those scenarios, uh, I like to educate people on how to handle those little claims themselves, how to deal with the insurance company, what tricks to expect, and. So then, you will assist someone, yes. even
0: if it's just a smaller injury, just to help them as a person. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, I leave the door open. Call me if sure. anything comes up that we've not discussed. And, and people very rarely do. And they seem to be appreciative of that. Um, a lot of attorneys will take any case. Mm-hmm. And, and and unfortunately, uh, unless you're in one of the major injury firms with, you know, 50 to 100 lawyers in it, uh, when when you have attorneys taking all these small cases they get so bogged down that the little cases get pushed to the back and and get neglected and i i just am not
0: comfortable working that yep. way that's very helpful danny thank you for that i'm hopeful people listening will um you know take your advice to heart and follow the rights that they have and make some phone calls if they need uh, your assistance because I think that's that's hugely helpful I want to I want to change direction just a little bit and ask you some a little bit more personal questions about leadership about growth because obviously you're very successful you've had to you know go to school get a great education own your own business today uh, looking across our our landscape some of the young people in colleges high school what are some of the barriers to personal growth you see if you could stand in front of a classroom and say, guys, if you want to be successful, here's some things you need to know. Here's what I see as some, some of the things that slow you down. Just some personal things that you would say to becoming the best they possibly can be. Fear. Okay. I think that's the number one uh, limiter
1: um, to success. Uh, being afraid to take a chance. Uh, being afraid uh, to succeed, frankly. Hmm. Um especially in the legal field where every day you're getting told you're wrong, either you know, by uh, the prosecutor and, and, and in our church here, we, Kim is a member yep. and, and she is um, the chief prosecutor in Pasquotank County and an excellent uh, felony prosecutor. Um, but it's her job to convict my clients. Yep. And, and to do that, she has to tell me why I'm wrong about things or why my client was wrong. Insurance companies all day long telling me how I'm wrong about the value of this case. My clients telling me how I'm wrong because they don't like what I'm what I'm hearing, and so that becomes, um, unless you keep it in the the right perspective, uh, that can lead to fear that maybe I am wrong, maybe mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I shouldn't take that chance. Um, and so when you when you back it up and talk about personal growth. Uh, I see a lot of people who talk about I have this idea or talk about I want to do this, and they just never do uh, because they're scared to come out of their comfort zone. They're scared to take a chance um, because they don't want to fail. And that's,
0: to me, that's the number one biggest limiter. Now, I would imagine, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, that it wasn't up and to the right from the moment you went into college and to where you are today. You've obviously had some challenges along the way and you've had to to face those fears and keep moving forward,
1: correct? Well, yeah, and I, I haven't always done a really good job of that. Okay. Uh, luckily, my wife um, is uh, one of the smartest, um, most intuitive people I know and and she has had to, kicked me in the tail yeah. more than once to to take steps that I was uncomfortable doing, and I appreciate her for doing that. Um, you know, I, I saw both of my parents have to do, have to take hard steps. Um, my mom had me when she was 18. My dad mm-hmm. was 22. He was a drill instructor in the Army. Uh, she was still at home in high school, and they ended up getting married. And so, uh, I think I well, I know that I interrupted my mom's education plans and yeah. work plans, and um, when I was very young, three or four, uh, my dad went into the ministry, uh, and uh, we moved to Florida for him to go to Bible school for several years, and we moved to Texas for him to go to seminary for several years, and then we moved back to Kentucky, uh, where he had been ordained uh, at the base town of Fort Knox, and. And during that whole time, my mom now had two kids and, and dad's not working basically because he's in school full-time, uh, pastoring, you know, small churches on the weekends. Um, and so she had to, to work and support us. And then once dad became a full-time pastor, she was able to go back to school and become a nurse. Um, and by that time I'm graduating high school. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, The whole time I was there, I I saw them making sacrifices and working hard, um, and they both became very, very successful. Um, Mom ended up on the faculty at UNC Chapel Hill um, at the the medical facility there. Uh, Dad pastored uh, for 25 years and then went into his own business uh, doing business leadership training. Um, uh, working with the John Maxwell team, uh, doing some personality insight stuff, uh, and but it, it was it was not the uh, the typical way to get there, uh, like I did, which is you know graduate four years of college, three years of law school, take a job, you know work yeah. nonstop.
0: Uh, they had it m- much more difficult than yeah. I did. And you had amazing mentors in your life. I mean, just to listen to that story, that's incredible. Yeah. What your mom and dad overcame—that's yeah. great. Yeah, they—I'm uh, proud of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Danny, a little bit more personal than that. Do you have a, Do you have any hobbies? I, I do. Yeah. Uh,
1: some I'm even willing to share with sure. you. Sure. <laughs> uh, I love golf. Okay. Uh, I caught the bug uh, probably six years ago. And, um, how often do you get a chance to play way too often? Oh, yeah. Any chance you get <laughs> any right? chance yeah. I get. I, my son, my oldest son luckily got into golf too and played high school golf. And so he and I were able to play a little bit. Uh, my youngest son, I, I just can't get him motivated yet, but I'm yeah. working on it. Um, and that just sort of came out of nowhere and I, yep. I can't explain how that happened. Um, but, uh, it did. Uh, before that, I raced bicycles hmm. uh, with uh, a couple of guys here, and we would, you know, we would train a couple hundred miles a week, and then every weekend be South Carolina, Virginia, North wow. Carolina, mountains, you know, wherever, yeah. racing all weekend. Um, that was 30 or 40 pounds ago. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, again, just competition. Yeah. You know, let, any, me,
0: let me ask you about golf. Do you have a particular favorite place you play golf or maybe the best place you've ever played before? i love lo- to go back and do it again.
1: I, I love the Mid Pines and Pine Needles courses uh, in Southern Pines. Okay. Uh, I have not traveled the world to play sure. golf like a lot of golfers do. Um, I'm a member here at what used to be the Pines. Now it's the YMCA facility and um just because it's convenient and there's a great group of guys there that we play with regularly um but it's the hardest thing i've ever done yeah and i played college baseball so to, to to go from hitting 95 mile an hour fastballs and 90 mile an hour sliders to trying to hit a ball that's just sitting there on a yeah. tee. It's,
0: uh, it's hard to imagine during, why during it's so hard. It, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's But from what I'm just speaking with other golfers, it's just a constant competition with yourself, right? It you're is. always trying to beat yourself from the last game and get the numbers down. And If you keep it in perspective, yes. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately,
1: you know, when you're playing in matches, you, sure. you, you, you poor golfers will get caught up in
0: what their opponent's doing, and that's right. about the worst thing you want to do. Right. It's really not about the other person as much as it is you. Absolutely. Yeah. You and the course. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people obviously listening, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, but a few people do not know you. I mean, they've gotten to know you here in this interview, which is great. But what might be something they'd be surprised to know about you? Maybe something you know that you have that you enjoy. Maybe it's reading or it's a particular another hobby that they may just not know about. Just something interesting that they might be surprised. Oh, I didn't know that about Danny.
1: I think most people are surprised that Meredith married me. <laughs> they can't okay. figure that out. Um, but I I think people who really know me uh, and who hang out with me a lot would be surprised at, at how much I do care about helping people because mm-hmm. I don't come across as the soft mm-hmm. um huggable, you know, caring person. Um, I'm very task oriented. Uh, I'm very into efficiency uh, and productivity. Um, But a lot of people don't realize that I, I, that's uh, Gary Smalley would call it my love language. That's, that's how I serve. That's how I help people is by getting the things done that, Perhaps they can't do themselves or or don't even know
0: need to be done. Yeah, that's interesting. A couple more questions on this. If you could uh, could have a meal with anybody, past or present, and just sit down with them and enjoy a meal, uh, whether they're living or whether they've passed on, who would that person be and and why? You know, I I would love to have eaten with Kennedy.
1: Mm. Um, He... Uh, despite all of the the personal failures that have become the, the stuff of movies he he was uh, very important to uh, a lot of different aspects of our country when when he was living uh, not just the Cuba stuff but the, the racial tensions that existed and and um, dr king and and yeah. you know there there was a lot going on there that a lot of people don't realize. I think that would have been very, very interesting to- because he he came from from the kind of money up north that and the history of their money you wouldn't tend to equate that with someone who was going to be so sensitive to the racial yeah. tensions in the south, but he was yeah. um so, you know, I hadn't given that a whole lot of thought, yeah. but that's the first thing that comes that's to mind. That's a great,
0: great answer. answer. I would love to do the exact same thing. I find him a fascinating man, and what he did at his age and being able to confront the, the issues of our day at that time, a pivotal time in our nation's history, and he handled it beautifully. That's well, a, especially
1: with the overbearing father that he had. And, yeah. You
0: know, Joe was, uh, you know. Uh, to get out from underneath his shadow and be able to do his own thing, that's that's amazing. Not only his shadow, but, but his... His, uh, uh,
1: what drove him what, right. was not to be the helpful, yeah. you know, uh, mender of society yeah. that that
0: uh, President Kennedy turned yeah. out to try to be. That's great. And I didn't ask you, you know, this may, you may not have an answer to this. I just thought of it. Do you have a book or anything as far as Kennedy that you've read or anything that you would, a documentary maybe you've watched, that you would encourage some other people to check out? Or how did you get to know about? him and why? Is that interesting to you? I, I think most of my learning of him didn't
1: come from reading books, but came through, uh, things I have learned as part of the North Carolina advocates for justice. Okay. And, and they are, that organization has been very instrumental in helping, um, attorneys who help the very needy, mm-hmm. uh, racial injustice economic injustice uh, the people who can't afford attorneys the the pro bono work and the the public defender work um, NCAJ has has a bunch of a bunch of attorneys who through the years have just been on the, the forefront of uh, racial inequality uh, racial injustice and listening to those people reading what those people have written um, I was surprised to keep seeing references to Kennedy because I had no idea. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, on a much lighter note, sure. as we wrap this up, uh, you're an NC, UNC fan. I am. Yeah, that was uh, a hard game the other night. Felt like the national championship <laughs> game from a yeah. couple of years ago. It of course, did.
1: Duke, Duke did, and they just destroyed us. But yeah. the the loss, the game before that where we hit the, the last second or with six seconds left, the yeah. tie and tie three from deep, and then they went down and made almost a half-court shot.
0: Yeah. That was brutal. Yeah. Um, Any thoughts on March Madness? What oh, do you well. think is going to happen? And,
1: so. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, this year, uh, if Marvin Bagley plays the way he did against us last game, Duke's going to be hard to handle mm-hmm. because he he is impossible to handle. And uh, if that light switch stays on for him, they'll be a tough out. And it's hard to believe he should be in high school. You know, he yeah. reclassified and, and he should be a senior this year. And he's the best player in the country in my mind. Um, Villanova uh, is going to be a tough out. Uh, I don't think Carolina gets past the second weekend. Yeah, I just I don't think it's hard to admit, huh? <laughs> we, we, I don't think we've got the big men this year necessary to yeah, do that. Kind of
0: a rebuilding year, and hopefully they'll be back strong soon. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, good. Well, Danny, how do people contact you? What do you encourage? Website? Just give us a couple addresses or one. How does someone say, hey, I need to I need to get some consultation here with Danny?
1: Sure. My my website is uh, www. Danny Glover law com. Okay. My email is more the same Danny at Danny Glover law firm.com. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, you can message me on Facebook, um, or you can call me, uh, our office is two five two two nine nine five three zero zero. And because of the way our voiceover IP stuff works, you have to dial that area code. Even if you're in town with me, um, but yeah, happy to talk to uh, even, anyone. Even Duke fans. Even Duke fans, <laughs> and I'll
0: uh, charge them a little bit extra. <laughs> Got it. All right, Danny. Great to have you today. Thank you so much uh, for being a part of this and and answering all the different questions that uh, I threw at you. It's an honor to have you here, and I'm hopeful that more people be exposed to you, and and you'll be able to help some some people who are facing some maybe some personal injuries or whatever it is that uh, they're going through. So thanks again for being with us. I appreciate you having all be. right, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to the imperfect leader podcast with Scott Neal. Remember nothing succeeds like imperfection. Thank you for listening.